0: Hey there, welcome to the Inclusion Solution Live. I am your season six host, Marisha Reese. This season is From Empower to Me Power, BIPOC Leadership Conversations. I am so happy to have you here on this journey with me. In case you missed it, this season we're talking about some of the unique challenges BIPOC leaders face, especially in dominant group spaces, and how they use their innate power to thrive. I am so excited to welcome my guest today, Mary Frances Winters, founder and president of the Winters Group. Welcome back to the show, Mary
1: Frances. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with you, Marisha. I am president. I am not the president anymore. I am the chief executive officer. So as of January for our listeners, Marisha became president of the Winters Group. And sometimes we get it. Wrong, because it's so new. But congratulations, Marisha, you are doing a fabulous job. And I am so proud of you, proud to call you my daughter, my business partner, and my friend. And thank you for having me. Thank you, Mary Frances. I wanted to do
0: um, a little introduction, how we usually like to start with our I Ams at the Winters Group to highlight our intersecting identities. And I'm going to ask all my guests this season to start that way. And I'm going to model it first, and then, Mary Frances, I invite you to do the same. I am a Black, cisgender, able-bodied woman, a Xennial, that means I'm at the cusp of a millennial and Generation X, an introvert, so not quite sure how you all got me on this podcast. (laughs) I am a wife, a daughter, a sister, and a dog mom. Mary Frances, I invite you to also share your I Ams with our listeners.
1: Sure. Thank you, Marisha. Um, I am a Black, cisgendered, heterosexual woman. I am a baby boomer. I am an entrepreneur. I am an author. And of course, I am a mother. I'm a dog grandmother. Uh, I'm an avid uh, traveler, and I am all things equity and justice. Thank you.
0: So you're ready to get into it, Mary Frances? I think so. (laughs) So first, I just wanted to know if you could share a little of your story about how you got to where you are today. Well, how much time do you have? Well, they told me only about um, 30 to 40 minutes for this podcast. Oh, okay. So you want the
1: the truncated version. Okay, all right. (laughs) So I think I have always been um, acclimated towards um, equity and justice. Uh, some of you who are listening have probably heard this story more than more than once because it is my story. It's my origin story about how I got started in this work. And when I was in kindergarten, um, there were only two black uh, children in the class, myself and my friend, um, my other friend, girlfriend, we were the only two. And one day, uh, a little kindergartner called us the N-word. And we didn't know really what that meant because our families didn't like use that language in our household. But we knew it was mean because he said it in a mean way. So we started crying. Keep in mind, we're five years old. And uh, then the teacher came over and asked us why we were crying. And we told her why. And then she called, um, Billy was his name. She called Billy over and she told him that his red hair was ugly and his freckles were too. I'm not sure that a child psychologist would have said that was the way Billy should have been handled. However, Billy started crying as well. So we all, I felt better than (laughs) now. He's crying too. But that was the first time that I knew I was different and that my difference would make a difference. And think about it again as a five-year-old. So you don't really have the capacity to understand that. But what I've learned over the years is that many people have had had that early childhood story. So I think I became an activist right at that point because <laughs> I was thinking, this is not right. Um, and then through high school, um, my high school guidance counselor told me that going to the University of Rochester was too lofty a goal for me, even after I was accepted to the University of Rochester. And then at the University of Rochester, which was in the late 60s, early 70s, the heyday of the civil rights movement, we took over the administration building because there were, you know, racist comments that were made, you know, by the administration, and there were just all sorts of things that were happening at the university. So I was very much active with my um, with my protest signs, and uh, we uh, painted uh, one of the. There was a big rock in the middle of uh, the what we call the quad, and we painted it red, black, and green, you know, the colors of, of liberation. And so, you know, and then I when I went to uh, my first job at the Eastman Kodak Company. There again. Um, I got into affirmative action, um, you know, put the black woman in affirmative action. So um, I was doing work there where I was uh, defending the company against discrimination suits. So it's just really always been, um, you know, in my in my DNA. When I started the Winters Group in 1984, I started as a market research company. And, you know, here we are, you know, 40 years later and we're a diversity, equity, inclusion justice firm. And that happened probably about 15 years into the into the company where, uh, we shifted and started doing research um, around uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and doing audits and whatnot. And then we added on, you know, the training and education and, and the strategy work. So I guess it's just kind of always been in my DNA since Billy called me the N-word. Well, thank you, Billy, but also not
0: thank you, Billy, right? <laughs> so he got you in this, but that was not nice of Billy. Um, So one part of your story that you left out that I would love for you to just share, because I love this part of the story um, when you were at your first job at at Eastman Kodak Company and what sparked you to leave there. So if you can share that story, because I think that shows how you said, no, I'm going to take my power and I'm going to go off and do my own thing. So I think that would be a really great story to share with the listeners.
1: Thank you for that. So I was selected as one of four people to go through the executive MBA program at the, um, that the company sponsored. And they only picked four people a year, and I was the first um, black person that they picked, and you know, and the youngest person that they picked um, to go through that program. That was at the beginning of the uh, of the '80s. And so, when I left that program, um, the three white men received um, like really big promotions. They became vice president of this, vice president of that, and I thought, oh boy, I'm going to get a vice president's job. Oh, not so fast, Mary Frances. No, they asked me, what would you like to do? And I'm like, oh, you just spent all this money on me. Don't you know what you want me to do? So that was like my first clue that I needed to take my own, you know, take my own power. Um, And then I had an incident. I had a a sexual harassment, um, you know, incident. And I really didn't know how to handle it um, at that time. And for me, handling it was saying, I, you know, if I'm going to succeed or fail in life, it's not going to be because I'm in this dominant group um, culture and they're going to, uh, dictate, you know, who I am, how I am and, and how I'm treated. If I'm going to fail in life, it's because I don't work hard enough. And so I decided rather than trying to go to another corporation that I would strike out on strike out on my own. Wonderful. Was that the
0: story? That, that is the story. And I okay. think that's a beautiful me power story um, that listeners, you know, could hear just how you took, like you said, you took, You're empowering and you said you could do it. And I remember you said that someone told you, oh, she'll be back in 40 years here. Nope, not back, and still um, rocking the leadership here at the Winters Group. All right. So, my next question so, throughout your years at the Winters Group, you have worked with many clients. Um, and, you know, often they lament to you about not being able to find, you know, diverse candidates to fill leadership or more specifically BIPOC candidates to fill leadership roles. So what is your response to that?
1: My response to that is that I'm really tired of hearing it because you're right. I've been hearing it um, for 40 years and I can remember um, when I was still at the Eastman Kodak Company, um, those, you know, some more than 40 years ago now, they brought in a whole influx of of black people at one time, you know, into leadership roles. And most of them, I think all of them didn't, well, I think one did last, but most of them did not last. And part of the reason was um, they were expected to assimilate. They were expected to um, give up any, you know, cultural norms that they had learned or ways of being that they had learned about how you lead people. Um, And, do it the way that the dominant group um, said, this is the way, you know, uh, that that you do it. As we know, you know, from a cultural perspective, there are some cultures uh, that are much more relationship oriented. There are other cultures that are much more task oriented and the dominant group culture in these large organizations tend to be more task oriented. And so if you're more relationship oriented, perhaps more nurturing, um, that was seen as a negative, that was seen as something um, to, to change. Um, And when you're trying to fit in, um, I know when I would go to work, I would sometimes I would feel like, you know, I didn't know who I was, how I have to be this day. How do I have to be this next day, you know, so that so that I can fit in. So I was spending so much time figuring out how to fit in that I wasn't spending the time I should have been spending on. How can I innovate for the company? How can I you know do my job better? I was focused on, you know, um, am I saying it right? Am I doing it right? Am I walking the right way? I even had somebody. Tell me that my, that I should get straightened my hair. I had a a short Afro at the time and he came into my office, a colleague, not a boss. And he said, will your hair grow? Hmm. And I said, I looked, you know, startled and shocked. I said, well, yes. He said, well, you ought to let it and walked out, you know, so those are the, and so you you feel like you don't belong. And so how do you develop your your leadership skills? How do you hone those if you're not really sure what's going to be accepted? Right. Exactly. So, what do you think org-
0: organizations need to do to help set, you know, BIPOC leaders up for success? You know, what I know that we talk, you know, we often at the Winters Group, we do training, we do inclusive leader training, but it's still, you hear this, you're still not seeing numbers change necessarily at the top. So what do you think is they're missing or that's not, you know, working and that they need to start doing to help set BIPOC leaders up for success?
1: I think they first need to, practice what we're preaching now in organizations to bring your full self to work. You know, we say that, but I don't think we really mean it. It's like bring your full self as long as your full self, you know, is just just like me. Right. And so I think we first have to acknowledge that um, diverse leadership styles, you know, even women leadership styles are said to be different than men's leadership styles. Um, That doesn't mean that they're wrong. So there are different ways to there are different ways to lead. Asians are often not picked for leadership because um, they're seen as, you know, very methodical and very technical and not, um, you know, and not very people oriented. So I think the first thing is to abandon this uh, notion that there is one type of, uh, you know, of of leadership. And I think secondly is to understand more what some of the cultural, um, cultural differences are, you know, studies show that um, many um, BIPOC groups, black, um, indigenous people of color groups tend to be more relationship oriented, tend to be more collectivist in their way of thinking rather than ind- individualistic. And so understanding and recognizing that, and how can I nurture somebody to be the best leader that they can be and while still maintaining, you know, who they are? How much flexibility can we have, you know, in you know, in approach and in, in style? If we have processes, don't get me wrong, we all need processes. We all need procedures. Uh, we all need, you know, rules um, to or, to run to run an organization. But how rigid are those rules? And how do you recognize when someone um, is coming at something from a different perspective, not your perspective? And you can ask yourself, "Oh, this is different from the way I would do it, but is this okay?" Um, so let, let's think about. Let's look at mentoring. Mm -hmm. mentoring programs. Often mentoring programs are set up so that the mentor is giving the mentee advice about here's how I succeeded. Well, if that mentor uh, is a member of the dominant group and the mentee is a member of a historically underrepresented group or BIPOC group or historically marginalized group, the strategies that that mentor used as someone uh, from the dominant group may not work for that, for that, for that mentee. And so again, that mentee is trying to, trying to fit in. So how do you nurture somebody to Um, grow into their own, so to speak, as opposed, as opposed to becoming a clone. Right. And part of that, as you, you know, you,
0: you, you said it already too, but without that mentor, that may be of the dominant group learning more about the culture of the mentee, then those relationships may never be successful not that they'll never be successful, but they may not lead to what we want. And like you're saying, it's gonna to lead to more of the assimilation. Do you think that dominant group, I'll just stay with the mentor analogy here, but mentor, like they should maybe shy away from that because they don't know, and they sh- shy away from mentoring mm-hmm. BIPOC employees because they might be afraid of not, of
1: messing up or not knowing the culture well enough? Well, yeah, and um, there there is some research um... That shows that, in fact, um, BIPOC women—I don't know if so much as about men—but this research showed women actually do not um, get selected as mentees as often. So they don't have—they don't have as much opportunity um, to be mentored, good or bad, <laughs> the, the mentoring. But they don't even have—they don't even get the opportunity um, to have a mentor. So yeah, that, I think that, and I'm not sure if there's research that shows why that is, but we can surmise. Um, that it's easier to mentor somebody who looks like you, you know, who um, culturally identifies more with you than somebody who, you know, might um, might be quite different.
0: Right, thank you for that. So um, my next question for you, Mary Frances, is what are some strategies that you can maybe recommend for BIPOC professionals to kind of protect their peace in some of these spaces, um, these dominant group spaces, especially as they navigate their way to to leadership. Um, We know it's challenging, we know there's microaggressions, we know, right, these biases. And so, and to your point, you know, so that may further make them want to assimilate, fit in, not, you know, I don't want to stand out because I'm just, you know, it's too, it's too hard, it's too fatiguing. You wrote the book, Black Fatigue. It's too fatiguing, right, to do all of this. So, what, what are some strategies that you might suggest to help them, you know, just protect their peace as they work their way to the top?
1: So, the first one um, is going to sound like okay, everybody says this, but self awareness. I mean, really being self aware about what your triggers are, being self aware about what your um, dreams are. What your values are, what you will not compromise on, and letting that show, letting that you know be a part of um, who you are and how you show up, and being able to um, have, being brave enough to, to get into the brave space where you're able to articulate that, you know, to um, people who are who are who are managing you. This is how I like to work. This is this is the way that I'm going to be able to do my best work. Um, these are the you know values. and so letting that be known instead of keeping that um, hidden, I think sometimes we tend to try to get along and just fit in. um if those who are familiar with the intercultural development um, inventory, um minimization on that on that curve um, means that we minimize our differences. we minimize who we are so that we can fit in. So I would my first strategy would be don't minimize, you know um, who who you are. um and you know we're we're going to um, our Empowerment Institute um, that starts um, in May. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about um, how not to minimize yourself and how to be able to show um, the strength, um, you know, that you have. So the first strategy would be that self-awareness, and then once you have that self-awareness, to be um, to have the courage to come as your full self. Because I do think in the end, you know, maybe difficult, you know, in at, at the beginning, but I think that. Um, your colleagues and leaders will will respect you more when they know where you're coming from. They know where you stand, right? And particularly when you bring a strength, a talent that is, you know, uh, that is that is required. When I think about diversity, and I think about my analogy of the um, of the orchestra, right? Um, you know, the violin is not being asked to be something other than a violin, right? And the um, the bass is not being asked to be something other. And so, who are you, right? And, and make it known and so that um, that people you know know um, who you are. think about the great leaders um, you know who've come you know before us. and I'm thinking now about um, Barack Obama. And, you know and think about how, you know he, he knew who he was. You can even tell in his walk, right? And um, he wasn't he wasn't going to back back away. I mean, he obviously he was a diplomat, obviously, he compromised, obviously, he collaborated. But um you knew you knew who he was and you knew where he stood. And I could also say that same thing about um, his wife, Michelle, right? You knew exactly um what they were. This is not hard. This is not, this is hard. I'm I'm sorry. This is very hard. It is mm-hmm. very hard to do. And you mentioned you're an introvert. People have different, you know, sort of natural, um, natural ways. But even as an introvert, you can be a great, you can be a great leader. You don't have to be somebody who is always <laughs> front and center, um, you know, to be, to be a great leader. So I think that self-awareness is really key. And then secondly, um, always, always coming as yourself, not code shifting. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, for that, and it's, and it's in that order, right? Because if you don't are not fully self-aware and fully comfortable with yourself, you may try to show up authentically, but then if Mm -hmm. someone, right, is, um, tells you that that's not the way to show up or or looks down upon that, then you will easily retreat back and go back to the other way. But if you're fully self-aware and you know, like, this is me, and I'm not going to take any, you know, they're going to take me or leave me. And I know that could also be hard, right, for people to say, well, what, you know, what if I bring my full authentic self and then they don't accept it? And then I, like, I can't leave the company because I need work. I mean, you could leave, you know, it's like kind of like we tell people, don't stay there if they don't respect you or who you are, but that could be hard because, you know, in these times, especially um, just need, you know, needing the work and the job. So I know that that could be a struggle that BIPOC people face too, of just thinking like, oh, if I, if I do too much of bringing my whole self, mm-hmm. um, but as long as you stay true to who you are, you're fully self-aware, then, you know, you'll want to be in those places that accept
1: you and embrace you for that. Well, another strategy that I always say, um, and I wrote about it in some one of the books. I think it may have been Inclusive Conversations, or we can't talk about that at work. One of those books that you should always have a Plan B and mm-hmm. a Plan C. And so, as you think about your your future, it may your future may not be at that particular organization. So, my story was, you know, my Plan B was I'm going to start my own business. And statistics show that black people, and in particular black women, are starting businesses at two to one the rate of any other of any other group, and um, the main reason for that is that they're not finding uh, that they can, um, uh, you know, achieve what they'd like to achieve in made in these big corporations. There's lots of microaggressions microaggressions that happen people are getting passed over people are getting mistaken for the other black woman in the you know um in the department being left out of um, meetings and off of and off of emails oh I forgot um and so the burden you know as you know as you mentioned I wrote about it in black fatigue it's very fatiguing to have to um sort of in other words like fight for your place fight for your rightful place um in as a human being even in um you know, in an organization. So that becomes difficult. So it is burdensome. And so, you know, another strategy is to, um, you know, protect your peace and your well-being, knowing what you're knowing, what your boundaries are. You know, I came up um, as a baby boomer, I came up in a world, you know, the workaholics, right. And um, you were judged by how hard you worked and you were rewarded by how hard you worked. And people would say things like, I haven't had a vacation in five years. And that would be a bad it would be right. a badge of honor, right? Look at me. I don't I don't need a vacation. Well, we know that's not the way to be because it's not good for your mental health, it's not good for your physical health um either. And so I think setting those boundaries and not being not feeling guilty, I, I will admit to myself, I still I still wrestle with that because for the 40 years of you know, for in front of this business, it's always about thinking about the business and, and making sure that the business is going to be okay, and to shut that off um, is hard to do. It's it's really really hard to do, and I think we have to, you know, um, step out on faith sometimes. That, you know, if we leave an organization, if one, you know, the, the one door closes, another door is, is going to open. But if so, because if you're always true to yourself and always confident that you have value, you have right. value, um, and the value may not be recognized. Or or under, understood or valued in this organization, then don't stay. But have that plan B. Yeah, thank you. So
0: I um, shared earlier. You know, we we're talking about me power. And then um, if folks didn't listen to our trailer, you'll, you'll um, they may not know. Like, what do we mean, me power? And Mary Francis, you actually coined that term for us here at the Winters Group. You were like, I'm sick of this empower. It needs to be me power. So are you um, willing to share kind of how you came to that and what how you define me power?
1: You know, for years and years, I would hear people talk about we're empowering employees, right? We're empowered. You know, you're empowered. And it just always kind of bothered me because that M part, would suggest that somebody else has to give you that power. So it's still, it is still somebody else controlling you, right? Because I'm gonna give it to you, right? So I'm empowering you. So who has the power? Yeah, and I always I never said anything for a long time, you know, about it, but it just really, really bothered me. And then um I did something for one of our clients a number of years ago where I first introduced it. And uh it, Dawn came to me one night in the middle of the night to turn the EM into ME. And so the idea is what it really means is that you already have the power and, and nobody has to give it to you. You have a power in a lot of areas of your of your life. You, you have the power to choose you know, where you want to work. You have the power to, to choose um, how you're going to show up, whether you're going to contribute um, in, a, in a particular meeting. You have that power. You have a lot of power. Even if you don't have positional power, you don't have manager, director, vice president next to your name. You still have a lot of power. You can control how you. Um, you can control how you how you respond. You know. So some there's a microaggression that happens. How are you gonna How are you gonna respond? You're gonna call it out right then, right then and there? Are you gonna wait? Right. You have to. So you have a lot of power. And again, our Empowerment Institute is going to really explore all of those, all of the ways that we already have power. And what we're going to be in, in the Empowerment Institute encouraging people to do is to claim it and to own it and to use it for good. Thank you, Mary Francis. So I did have a question for you
0: on the Empowerment Institute. I know you've teased it twice already because you're <laughs> jumping the gun here. But... Um, So as Mary Frances shared, the Winters Group will be launching its Empowerment Institute in May of 2024. Registration is open. Um, Is there anything else you want to share about the Empowerment Institute in particular or what, you know, why you decided to create it or anything to add to what you've already shared?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I've shared this already, but if I did, I'm going to share it again Uh, for so long. um, Yeah, and you did say it earlier in one of the earlier questions. I have heard we don't have a pipeline of BIPOC ready for leadership. And my question is, well, why not? <laughs> why aren't you developing BIPOC for leadership? Right. Uh, and so uh, that just doesn't seem to be happening. It hasn't hasn't been happening. And so, you know, we hear people talk about high potential lists that they have in their organization. Well, who gets to be on the high potential list? And when we go in and do an audit and we ask know what's the demographic breakdown of your high potential list well oftentimes there aren't any BIPOC people on that high potential list Mm -hmm. and so and so why not and so this is uh an answer not the only answer but an answer to those leaders who say we don't have anybody ready to go into leadership well we're going to help you prepare BIPOC for uh for leadership roles because when we look at um just just nationally and even globally when we look at the statistics Um, When we look at the lowest levels, lowest um, job titles, the entry level job titles, we we don't seem to have an issue there in terms of representation. But the higher you get, the fewer people of color you have within the the organization. So if our goal is to reach parity, if our goal is to, um, you know, uh, increase that representation at those levels, then we have to acknowledge that we don't have um, that, that there is a problem and that the the development is needed. But this type of development is is different than the traditional type of leadership development programs. In that, as I've said before, it is about not about you uh, figuring out how to fit in, but it's about you figuring out how to find you and how you can um, best um, release and unleash the talent that you already have. Right, and and how
0: you you know bringing your full self, like getting understand what's that power within self awareness and bringing my full self, and if they don't like it, then I'm gonna pack my bags and go to to Plan B. Right, that you shared. And I'm not one. saying
1: yeah, and it's not easy. It's not easy to go to Plan B. Right. Exactly. Exactly. However, with- however, when you have that self assurance that you are okay there's nothing wrong with you, and that um, you have something to offer, you will find that place uh, where you can um, be who you are. It may take a longer period of time. It is difficult. It can be fatiguing. And this is where you need the support group. Um, And I'm finding that a lot of communities are developing, uh, online communities or in-person communities to support each other uh, on these journeys.
0: And one thing I um, also love about our Empowerment Institute is that it's not only for BIPOC, but it's by BIPOC. So our designers, our design team, um, and facilitators are um, BIPOC as well. So Mary Frances, I shared um, a me—well, I pulled out of you a me-power story earlier about how you know when you left um, Kodak and started your own business. But do you have any other stories that you want to share personal stories and ways that you honed into your own power and you know just um let the unleash your full potential so to speak
1: so i've been in uh, a lot of situations where i am in white spaces and i end up being one or one of the few uh in in the um on the team in the organization on the board and so um, I'm on the board of my alma mater, the University of Rochester, uh, which is primarily um, primarily white uh, dominated space, and it can be difficult to show up as as my full self because there are a lot of um, ways of being on that board and other boards. I'm not trying to to, to put to point them out specifically, but to just say that would be against the way that I would see you would handle something in. An inclusive and, and, and more equitable um, and a more equitable uh, manner um, and so in that realm, I oftentimes um share with small groups first before I share with the entire group to you know just to sort of see how my ideas are you know you know going over and getting some uh, support you know so that when I do speak up in a meeting, I'm not the only one who is sharing a particular uh, perspective mm-hmm. I love that. Well, um, as we as we
0: wind down and wrap up, I did want to um, just also share a little personal story about myself, because you talked a lot about, you know, being the one of only in spaces and a lot of, you know, once you get moved higher up in organizations, you find yourself um, BIPOC employees um, find themselves being one of only. So I just want to say that I truly wish that the Winters Group Empowerment Institute was around when I was um many, many years ago in um worked for a large defense contractor and often found myself is one of only didn't see um many that looked like me in even in leadership in those positions. I was, you know, working as an engineer and you know, just kind of trying to helping to navigate those spaces and helping um to just allow me to really see who I who I truly am and my full potential. So I am truly excited about the empowerment Institute. I think it's going to be wonderful. Um, we probably should, I don't know why we didn't start it sooner, but better na- late than never. And so very much looking forward to that. So Mary Frances, In closing, is there anything else that you want to share? I might not have asked that one question. You were like, Marisha, you were supposed to ask me this or something that you were just waiting to say. So is there anything else that you wanna share before we wrap up today?
1: Only that my goal as I'm in the later part of my career is to support those who are earlier in their careers so that they don't have to go through some of the challenges that I went through. I'm not sure how successful I am at that because I am hearing from our younger clients that many of the same issues that I faced, that you faced when you were an engineer are still um, present today. But that is truly my goal. My goal is to lighten the burden if possible for those who are coming behind. Thank
0: you. And I do believe that you are successful. But there, it's a large world, right? And there's only so much you, Mary Frances, can touch. So you definitely are successful in your quest. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time, um, unfortunately, take longer than we want it to. So this has been such a fruitful conversation. I have thoroughly enjoyed spending this time with you. And I'm sure our listeners have as well. I thank you so much, Mary Frances, for joining me today, being my first, um, my first podcast guest. Thank you. And so, folks, that is a wrap for this episode of From Empower to Me Power. Please join me next time as we further explore the differences that make a difference when it comes to BIPOC leaders. Until next time, stay me powered. <music>